Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. Next Saturday, we celebrate our 29th anniversary here on Money Talk. This is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may also listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience download podcasts. You can also go to the free app SoundCloud and download podcasts as well. And this Thursday, after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a terrific idea to call or text at the beginning of the broadcast, giving me ample opportunity to do my best to answer your question. 512-836-0590. The end of the broadcast last Saturday, I got a question that essentially said, would it be smart after retirement? Hiring and before taking Social Security to do a series of Roth conversions. So let me explain that. Uh, it's, let me just start with the conclusion. I think the reason or rationale to do a Roth conversion is as much psychological as it is mathematical. So let's kind of dig into that, because this is a a common question, so I know it's on a lot of listeners' minds. You have accumulated retirement savings. Perhaps you were a participant in a company-sponsored 401k plan or 403b plan, and when you left that employer and or retired, you may have rolled over your savings to an IRA. You can leave it in the IRA, and when you reach the required minimum distribution age, you must begin to take it out based on your life expectancy, and you will pay income tax on that, provided that the contributions you and your employer made were pre-tax contributions. If you choose, you can take that money and put it in a Roth IRA. That's a conversion I don't know why we don't call it a transfer, but nevertheless, we call it a conversion. However, it's not free. So the money that you convert from your IRA to your Roth IRA is subject to income tax. Now, why would a person do that? Well, at least there's the following reasons. First, IRAs have required minimum distributions and Roth IRAs do not. Secondly, because you've already paid the taxes that you owed when you did the conversion, any growth in the value will not be taxable. And after five years, you can take the money out after the first contribution and take it out tax-free. Furthermore, if you have a non-spousal Roth beneficiary IRA, that person can take the money out. She must take it out within 10 years, but also not have any tax liability. So here's what I've observed. Some people get to a point in their lives where they go, we've done a good job of saving and investing for retirement. And as a result of that, we have more money than we think we're ever going to need. And we'd like to have the flexibility of not having an RMD 
and we'd also like to have the flexibility of taking it out when we want and not paying taxes on it. And or perhaps our beneficiaries, say our children are in high income tax brackets and likely to stay that way, wouldn't it be nice if they could access the capital without taxes? Now, on the other hand, you could easily say, I don't want to pay the taxes, and that's terrific. Then don't pay the taxes, leave the money in the IRA, and then upon your demise, the, the person who gets it, obviously if you're married, your spouse gets it, but upon his or her demise, the beneficiaries get it. They have the 10 years, just like they do with the beneficiary Roth IRA, but that money comes out subject to income tax. I'll go into this in more detail, but as I said, or should have said at the beginning of the broadcast, I take today's calls first, and then today's texts, and then previous week's texts. So we have a call. Chris, you're on the air. How may I help? Okay. Let's see. Okay. Hello, can you hear me? Chris, you're on the air. I can't hear you. I'll call back. Okay. Sounds like you're going to call back. All right. Here we go. So, should you take a series of those conversions after you retire, before you take Social Security? I would say the answer is yes. But it depends on your income tax bracket. Let's assume you're going to live a normal life expectancy and that you would like to have uh, the flexibility that I've discussed. Just when you take that distribution or when you do the conversion, ask you have to look and see what that does to your taxable income. And if it keeps you in a similar tax bracket, then doing it over time to avoid going into a significantly higher tax bracket is a terrific idea. The tax brackets are fairly substantially spread apart at a certain level. So let me just go into this because I think it's a big deal. So if you're married finally jointly and the 2024 rates are as follows, if your taxable income is above 94,000 but less than 201,000, all of that income above 94,000 is taxed at 22%. On the other hand, if you go above that 201000 all the way up to about 384000 it's taxed at 24%. I would not say that's a big incremental increase. However, above that 384000 it jumps to 32%. That is a big increase. So if I had the option, I would avoid to do that. We're going to try this again. Chris, you're on the air. How may I help? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, Chris. Please go ahead. Okay. I can barely hear you. I'll ask the questions, and then I will uh, hang up okay. and hear you on the radio. These are my questions, Carl. Okay. This may be a little bit out of sight of your realm. Okay. I'm wondering what you think about a credit freeze or things to keep your credit from being used by the wrong people. The reason I'm asking this... <clears throat> I've had some bank statements that have not shown up for a month. I'm waiting for some more that have not shown up. There's not a terrible lot of information on there that they could get other than accounts. But I recently got a letter from a company I did business with 30 years ago, and mm -hmm. they were the victims of uh, a cyber crime. Yes. They sent me a letter 
Yes. And they recommended a credit freeze, doing a credit check and then doing a credit freeze. I see. And I'm seeing more of this as, as, as time goes on. The mail is, some, yeah. for some reason, has gotten harder to get. Things go missing. But it bothers me even more that I got this letter from a company that I did business with 30 years ago. Now, they won't have the information that some people require now. This was a medical company. I see. And they didn't get my Social Security number. But it bothers me that, you know, after 30 years, I'm getting a mm -hmm. notice on this. It happened last year. So I'm wondering what you think of uh, credit check. Uh, credit freezes and that sort of thing, how can it affect our ability to invest? And what do you think of the validity of it all? Well, that's a great question. I'll hang um, okay, go ahead and hang up. And I would just say, Kyle, that I'm having trouble hearing myself on this now. I'm wondering if I've done something here. Can you hear me okay there? I'm going to continue to, to even though I can't hear myself on the Comrex. So. Okay, so the question I would have is, it seems to me that Cybersecurity is so important, and yet hacks are also clearly happening. You could proceed with this and have this credit freeze, and I'm not familiar with that, but after you have the credit freeze, it could happen again. And I do wonder uh, what impact, and I think you alluded to this, Chris, what impact it would have on your ability to get credit in the future. I'm probably going to take the position that if I pay particularly close attention to my personal identif identifying information, that that's about the most I can do. I'll give you an example. Uh, a lot of us use uh, Gmail. And I recently uh, was going to sign a contract to rent a, a place over the Thanksgiving holiday. And the contract asked for uh, two credit card uh, numbers and expiration dates and security codes. And I decided uh, not to do that. So I called the property management company and they said, well, just put uh, letters and digits into those places so that the contract will be sent back to us. And I gave them the information they wanted over the telephone. Uh, and I'm doing that, uh, frankly, uh, more and more. I think that's the way to go. Uh, I've been I've been sensitized. I have a young colleague uh, who happens to also be my daughter who has really gotten me aware of this. Uh, I would say now that when I send emails with anything approaching personally identifiable information, I make sure that the email is encrypted. Uh, and my sense is because I do online banking, and I suspect you and a lot of listeners do, that I think that's safe. But I think we have to be extremely careful uh, about personally identifiable information. So I'm, I'm skeptical about a credit freeze only because that will affect you on a greater you know, a greater sense, a greater amount of time than this one hack. I'd probably decline to do that. But I would, and I would do what I'm doing now, which is not uh, put any PII in anything that I didn't know was encrypted or absolutely safe. Thanks for the call. It's time for me to take a break. It's also a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back.
You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. When you have a question, call or text 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. I was thinking about the whole hack and cybersecurity thing while we were uh, during the commercial break, and I also note that um, I'm finding more and more what I would call double authentication. So I will get uh, a document from my CPA, but to open it, I have to respond with uh, my email address or something else. Generally, that's what. It it is, and I get uh, a six or eight digit response either by text or by email. And that just seems to make a lot of sense to me as well. So I think, I think our sensitivities to being hacked and to having personal identifiable information being stolen continues to be top of mind. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text. 512-836-0590. Bob, you're on the air. How may I help? Carl, on the caller asking yes. about the doing Roth conversions before yes. Social Security? Yes. Um, let me add two cents in here, please. Sure. Uh, the thing that I found late after starting Social Security is that there's two factors going on right now that they might want to use in their decision as to whether to do a Roth conversion. Okay. First one is, if they're not yet on Social Security and if their RMD is any kind of size to it, they might want to look at the IRMA tables because if they convert enough of their IRA down, they may be able to avoid the IRMA Social Security or, or, if you will, Medicare tax mm-hmm. that they don't, people don't even see until after they hit 65. Right. Secondly, we're in an era right now where the current tax rates for individual are, are lower. Now, it, it doesn't feel like it. We always feel like our taxes are too high, but our tax brackets right now are lower than they historically have been, and after 2025, they may go back up. Right. So those two factors are something that uh, somebody, say, age 60, might want to consider about whether or not to push them into go ahead and doing some at least moderate Roth conversions. I think those are terrific ideas. You've always been helpful around this whole thing with Irma. For those of us who are listening, for people who are listening who don't understand Irma, why don't you just give us a quick tutorial on that, Bob? Well, the biggest thing about Irma, uh, they, they call it high income tax, if you will, on your Medicare benefits. But it's really not because of everything they throw in there. If you do a Roth conversion, you'll easily trigger IRMA and find out silently that your Social Security benefit went down because they're taking out IRMA. You don't see it on your taxes. You don't see it on your tax return. You only see it on your annual Social Security statement. So a lot of people, it gets by them. So you have to be careful if you're over 65, 66 on Medicare and you start talking about doing a Roth conversion, and that is, will I get hit with a higher 
deductible on my Medicare Part B, and it can be sizable. It can end up being, you know, a hundred, hundred and fifty, three hundred. It can be a sizable additional amount. So uh, look into that issue. It's supposed to be a tax for high income earners to help right. pay for Medicare, right. but it'll end up hit, hitting almost anybody who's doing Roth conversions. Great, terrific, great. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I looked up Irma. I was going to write down what the acronym stands for, and I forgot what it stands for, so I'll get back with that. But what we're talking about is that you have a Social Security benefit, and if you're also on Medicare, the premium that you pay on Medicare is automatically deducted from your Social Security benefit. You don't send Medicare a check. They just deduct it. And the amount of that premium is determined by the taxable income, and it adds in a variety of things to include in taxable income. And the higher your taxable income, the greater the amount of your premium, and consequently, the lower or smaller the amount of your Social Security benefit. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Steve, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, I have a quick question. About, well, quick question. Um, for a while, I, I, I'm, I'm clueless about economics. Uh, I don't know much. Uh, I do have a 401k. Good. I was reading an article today that if you have a Roth IRA, you can use that money to uh, invest in housing, and you will not be penalized. I don't know if that's. Am I? My understanding was correct on this one. No, I probably what you're talking about. If you're talking about investing in actual real property, then you have right. to then you have to have a custodian who allows you to do that. The traditional custodians of IRAs and Roth IRAs, banks, uh-huh. credit unions, savings and loans. And uh, securities companies. They do not do that. You have to go to a very specialized custodian who will oh. allow you to put in illiquid assets like real estate. And obviously, you'd have to have enough money to buy the real estate to put it in there. So you can do it, but in most people, it's, it's frankly very difficult to do. I see. Uh, the, the other thing I was going to ask you, I'm, I'm thinking of, about you know uh, creating a portfolio Yes. In stocks. Yes. And uh, two of them that popping up right now, and I've been watching closely, PayPal and Baba. What's yes. your opinion on those two? Uh, well, I don't, I, and I'm, thank you for asking, and I suspect you're not a, a long-time listener. I don't follow individual stocks. Uh, I certainly follow the stock market, but I don't have an opinion on either of those. I would just say to you that if you're going to start a stock portfolio, congratulations, I think it's a great idea, but understand that you it's very hard when you buy individual stocks to get diversification because they're going to be whole industries let's just say healthcare or manufacturing or mining or energy that you don't know anything about so if you buy companies that you like like the ones you mentioned that's fine but your performance your investment return is going to be extremely volatile because you don't have a diversified portfolio and so if it's okay with you to do that what I've learned over the years is people who want to buy individual stocks 
products really enjoy the process. They enjoy understanding the company. They dig into it. They understand the profitability of the company. They understand the quality of the balance sheet. They understand the things that are driving that particular company, what's happening in the industry the company is in, what are the competitors. And then lastly, and most importantly, what is the valuation? What does this company represent as a, as a price compared to its earnings? Well, how does it compare? Does it pay a dividend or not? There's a whole bunch of questions. And if you find that you find interest in that, then I think you should do that. But please understand that it's high risk and high return, Steve. And thank you for your call. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Time for me to take a break. A perfect time for you to call. We're at the bottom of the hour, 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. You can listen online at newsradioklbj.com right now, or go there and download previous broadcasts. You may also go to the free app SoundCloud, download podcasts as well. And this Thursday after the news is 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. We have all of our lines available, 512-836-0590. So here I got I, I love this show because I have all these people who answer the questions for me. <laughs> what is Medicare IRMA? It's the income-related monthly adjustment amount, or IRMAA. And is defined as a fee that you pay on top of your Medicare Part B and Part D premiums if you make a yearly income above the annual thresholds. So that pretty much says exactly what it is. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I got this a great text. Carl, I remember you giving financial updates on KLBJ in the late 1980s. Wow. I'll bet your anniversary with KLBJ is close to 40. Thanks for all your advice along the way, along with Millionaire Next Door, set me up for life. And he said, you dinosaur. (laughs) That's exactly right. I am. Actually, you have great memory. uh, 1988, uh, we had uh, local talent on KLBJ and Kathy Cronkite, for those of you who are old enough to remember her famous father, Walter Cronkite. Kathy had a, uh, a morning talk show and this is obviously before uh, the Internet and KLBJ and stations around the country that had the news talk format would have someone and during uh, the drive time in the morning say the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down two points yesterday. And so uh, I got a call and uh, came out and I'd never done radio. And they said, you can do that for a week and we'll see how it goes. And uh, they said, OK, you can do it. So a few weeks in, I got a call from Kathy and she said, I've got a morning show. Why don't you come out uh, and we'll just open up the phone lines and see if we get any calls. And that was 1988. So that's 36 years ago. And I did that uh, with Kathy Cronkite, with uh, Ed Clements and uh 
Paul Pryor and uh, other luminaries who've passed through KLBJ, some of who are still there, like my friend Ed. Uh, and in 1995, 29 years ago, this coming Saturday, we started Money Talk. I've been all over the, all over the clock. We started at 11 a.m., then went to the afternoon. Then for a while, if you're a long-term listener, it was two hours from two to four, and then it was uh, three to five. And now for all, it seems to me like for a long time, it's been from four to five. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I was I came across this. I thought it was really interesting uh, about the bond market. So if you look at the bond market last year and you use the Bloomberg aggregate, which is kind of like the S and P five hundred, but for bonds, it had a it had a decent year, it had over five percent. But if you look at it on a monthly basis, the index was down in May, June, July, August. September and October. So for the t- first 10 months of the year, you had a negative return. And then in November, for bonds, a huge month, 4.5%. And in December, 3.8%. So that you ended up with a very attractive return for the year for bonds, not for stocks, but for bonds. It turns out that after that historic losing streak, that was the seventh best two-month period, November and December, since 1926, which is even longer ago than when I went on the air. And what what's the takeaway? In my view, I know you're going to be shocked that I'm going to say this. The takeaway is that uh, you can't see these things coming, that the financial markets, by their very nature, in my view, because of their liquidity, by their very nature, they end up being volatile. You hear me rustling papers because you're going to if you, if you choose every month, uh, I post or we post uh, on uh, the news talk format. Uh, the website, a letter that I write, and the one that uh, I'll be writing, because I'm looking at it before it's gone, before it goes out, uh, that uh, this month talks about the various ranges that you could have earned or lost from the S&P 500 uh, since 1950, depending on how long your holding period was. I've got a call coming in, so naturally I'm going to take that, but I may get back to that. 512-836-0590. Vincent, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes. How are you doing today? Terrific. Thank you. Yes. Um, my question is, I got my W-2 already. Uh-huh. When is the best time to follow it? I know right now they're trying to pass some new legislation on some tax breaks. Well, but your your W two was for last year, Vincent. So it won't make any yeah. difference. It won't make any difference on the taxes that you owe for this for twenty twenty three. And I would tell you, I th- while there's talk of change. The odds of there being any change in a presidential election year are zero. So I, I would I put that aside. And since you've got your W-2, yeah, you're safe to go ahead and file it because 
what you're thinking of, they'd have to make that what's called retroactive, where they change the taxes for the last year. And that would just be a, it would be a colossal mess because people would be filing their taxes and have to refile them again. So you just go ahead and file them because the rules that applied and the, and the tax brackets that applied for 2023 are not going to change. OK. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. So this is the range of your total returns in the S&P 500 since 1950 if you'd held it for one year or for five years or for 10 years or for 20 years. I'm going to give you the, the worst return and the best return. So any one-year period, the worst return could be minus 39%. That hurts. I'll bet you that was probably 2008 in the global financial crisis. And the best return was 47%. That's pretty terrific. But if you'd held it for five-year periods, if what they call five-year rolling period, your biggest loss was 3%, and your gain was 28%. And at 10 years... Your loss was 1%. So could you have lost money? Yes. But the odds were 99% that you wouldn't. And your best gain was 19%. And at a 20-year rolling period, there's no 20-year period where you would have had a negative return in the S&P 500. The lowest would be 6%. The highest was 17 Now, if you're saving for retirement... Um, even if you're retired, you got to think about that 20-year period, uh, then it's a winning game. But if you narrow it down to one year, you can have a terrible year like 2022, followed by a terrific year like 2023. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to keep shuffling papers and come up with more bloviation material until you either call or text. Here's another thing I read that I thought was pretty interesting. Investors vote with their feet, it says. Over the last century, there's been an 88% positive correlation between the performance of the stock market and the economy and the results of the presidential election. In the last 24 elections, when the performance of the S&P 500 was negative on a price-only basis in the three months, August, September, and October, leading into the November election, the incumbent lost the re-election bid nine out of ten times. But if the stock market was positive in that period, the incumbent won 12 out of 14 times. Furthermore, in all six times that the economy was in recession, in the two years Prior to the election, the incumbent president was not reelected. In contrast, in a growing economy, the, econ- the incumbent survived every time. That was 12 instances. Well, we have not had a recession in the last two years, and we, you know, we'd have to move pretty fast into a recession to get it here before the November election. Could it happen? Of course it could. You're listening to Money Talk. We're coming down to our last quarter hour, so if you're thinking of calling or texting or doing something besides turning off this show because of the painful bloviation, now would be a good time to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. 
You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart. You're listening to News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Ginger, you're on the air. How may I help? Oh, there goes Ginger. Okay. Well, let's just go then to a text here. Let's see. Oh, here's one. Doesn't everyone know that there was a recession, but they changed the definition? It's no longer two out of four quarters without growth. So they are two two quarters. I think this person means says two slash four. So they are lying about it. Nobody's fooled. What do I think? Well, I got to tell you, I <laughs> follow this stuff all the time, and there's not uh, you know there's nobody out there who has a reason to lie about the fact that there was or was not a recession. I will say that there wasn't a recession in the classic definition. However, having said that, I thought a really uh, an interesting comment uh, came from a, a person named Liz, on, Liz Ann Saunders, who I believe is the chief economist at Charles Schwab. She said we're, we've been experiencing rolling recessions, meaning that recessions in different areas of our economy. I think probably one of the easiest ones uh, would to spot is aspects of the real estate uh, economy, simply because uh, we have it's such a, it's so sensitive to interest rates, and we've had this historic rise in interest rates. We've had mortgages go from maybe three percent to close to seven percent, and so we've seen a real reduction in activity, certainly in the so-called used home market as well as new construction. So there are there there are industries that have gone through negative returns when compared to previous times. Uh, but I wouldn't say that the whole economy had based based on my reading. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLG KLPJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Hi Carl. My sister will turn 62. In 2025, if she were to file for Social Security through her husband's benefit, how would that affect her Social Security benefit when she turns 70? Her husband is 75 and retired. They completely live off his retirement funds and Social Security. Here's my understanding, and I always say it like that because I find Social Security remarkably complex. My understanding is she can file and get a, his a portion of his benefit until she until she qualifies for social security so i think that it she would i don't know because i think the the benefit that she gets is a function of his full retirement age benefit which is more than if he had taken it at 62 but less than taking it at 70 so i think she can get uh a portion of his full retirement benefit until she files. Now, I suspect that that would be her full retirement age, which probably is around 67, even though she may wait until 70. And frankly, I think for a lot of people, that's a good thing to wait then, simply because it grows at 8% a year from full retirement age to age 70. So that's my understanding. But I got to tell you, 
This stuff's lots of moving parts and very complex. So good luck and thanks for the question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. So, Carl, if we were going to make a Roth conversion, say of $100,000, would it be best to do it now, at the beginning of the calendar year, or wait until December, the end of the calendar year? Frankly, from a tax standpoint, it doesn't make a difference because it's going to be a tax taxable event in 2024. So... If you've looked at the impact it would have on your total tax liability, and it doesn't throw you into a substantially higher bracket, and you're aware of the impact that Bob talked about of the Medicare premium, then I don't think from a tax standpoint it would make any difference as to whether you did it now or you did it later in the year. The other thing is, of course, what I cannot tell from from your text is – how is the money invested? Are you in a savings account or a CD or a money market fund? Are you going? Are you in a balanced portfolio of stock and bond funds? And if you're going from like to like, say, let's just pretend that you have five hundred thousand dollars in your IRA in a balanced portfolio of mutual funds and exchange traded funds and you're going to take a hundred thousand and put it into a Roth because you're the same person with the same goals and objectives you would replicate in the Roth the portfolio that you have in your IRA and since you're taking no more or no less in terms of market and investment risk, then it really wouldn't matter what time of the year you did it. If you were moving from one type of investment to another, I would say that's really complicated because if you're, say, going to be in a money market fund, well, gosh, um, it's entirely plausible uh, that later uh, this year the, the interest rates could go lower and then you'd end up with uh, a lower return on the other side. You might want to consider making some kind of change in your investment strategy. So I don't think the timing of it would really make a difference. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call, call, call or text 512-836-0590. Dan now you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Um, Hi. I, I was uh, curious. My wife, uh, she's been disabled for about uh, almost 20 years now, and she's I on see. Social Security I see. disability. Uh-huh. And I was wondering, how, if you know, how does that affect um, my retirement and her retirement uh, as far as receiving Social Security benefits can she can she get mine or I don't know how that works no that's a well of course it doesn't affect your social security benefit is not affected because it's based on your earnings and the and is she still while she's getting disability payments is she also still contributing to social security or not 
I'm sorry. Could you repeat? I'm, I'm she, sorry. My phone just that's messed okay. up. Could you repeat that? Yeah. Last so thing? you're, I'm so you're, sorry. yeah. You're, that's quite all right. So you're working and you're contributing to Social Security because you have you have to. Is your is your wife working uh, or uh, and contributing to Social Security or is she not working? No, she is no longer. Yeah. She, she hasn't worked for nearly 20 years yeah. because she is yeah. uh, completely disabled yeah. and she's on Social Security yeah. disability. And yeah. I uh, I am retired yeah. uh, from the state. Yeah. So she, so you've retired from the state. So you're getting two streams of income. You're getting Social Security income and you're also getting a pension from the Employees Retirement System of Texas. Um, I'm not. I'm not yet old enough to receive Social Security, uh, you, but I you, am getting state retirement. And when you when you signed up for the state retirement, I'm just curious. Did you take the joint life option or life only? Which option did you take for your ERS pension? Uh, is the joint life where yes where she will get? Yes. My retirement for the rest yeah. of her life? Is that, yes. is that what that yeah, means? That's exactly what it means. Okay, yes, I took that one. I took yeah. that one. Well, that, given her situation, that was really wise of you to do that. So I think um, when you get Social Security, it's not going to have any impact uh-huh. on her. And when you, if you predecease her, she's going to get your TRS. And I think she's going to qualify to get a Social Security benefit if you predecease her. That's my best guess, Dana. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Good luck to you. Great. Great. I sure do appreciate it, Carl. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I think we, if you've got a text, you can sneak it in here, 512-836-0590. Here we go. Hi, Carl. What's the limit for that Roth conversion for a year? Actually, there's no limit. There's a limit for you to be able to put new money into a Roth. You, there's a, a, a limit as to how much income you can make to put new money into it. But the great thing about a Roth conversion is there is no limit as long as you're prepared to pay the income taxes. Some people like to do what's called a backdoor Roth, and I know this isn't what you asked, uh, and that is, let's say that you make too much money to do a tax pre-tax IRA, okay? You can still do an IRA, even if when you're covered by an employer-sponsored plan. You just don't get the tax deduction, but you can open the IRA, put your six, $7,000, whatever it is in there, and you've got up until April 15th of this year to do it for last year, and then you can open up a Roth IRA, and you can convert that money into the Roth there's no there's no limit as to your income and because it was only there for 10 seconds there's no income coming is no taxable income coming out of the IRA so you might want to consider doing a non-deductible IRA and converting that to a Roth if that fits your situation but you can you can put as much of into a Roth out of an IRA as you choose if you're willing to pay the taxes. So I'm not aware of any limit for that. Thanks for the question. 
You're listening to Money Talk. We're down to our last couple of months. Couple of months. <laughs> Seems like it. Last couple of minutes. I'm just looking here uh, at the short. What, what's happened so far this year? And we have a bit of a pullback in the equity market. It's, there's an interesting dichotomy. I, I, as you know, if you're a regular listener, I, I, I track the various markets by what you can personally invest in because you can't invest in indexes. And generally, the Vanguard total stock market and the S&P, the spider S&P, tend to follow each other carefully. There's really a bit of a dispersion short of this early this year where the Vanguard total stock market symbol VTI is now 1.11 and the SPY is up 1.50. And you go, well, how can that be? And the reason is, if you look at the Fidelity ONEQ, which is the NASDAQ, it's up 1.86. And there, if you're a detective, you see, aha, what's happened is those tech stocks that drove the bulk of performance in 2023 are added again in 2024. That's why the NASDAQ's up 1.86 and their representation in the S&P 500 is greater than in the Vanguard total stock market. And that's the reason for the difference. This is the kind of amazing analysis that causes you to listen to Money Talk. I want to thank Kyle and Garrett for helping me out this afternoon and to remind you next Saturday after the news at four to be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 